of Romans, chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 30, and the page number for this passage is 1,201 in the Bibles that are found under your pews. Romans chapter 8, and I'll begin at verse 26. It reads, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers." And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. He is worthy. And so we are... Thankful for that great truth. It is a wonderful thing when you have a powerful, influential individual that is on your side. When they use that power and influence to work not against you, but for you. Nationwide Insurance has the motto, Nationwide is on your side, all right? So you know if you are in, in an accident or if a fire comes or if a catastrophe strikes, if you are associated with Nationwide, all will be fine for Nationwide is on your side. That's intended to bring comfort. The good news this morning is that God is on our side. The main conclusion of the portion of scripture that we are in is the thought that God is on our side. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? The things that are found in Romans 8, 28 through 30. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, then what do we need to fear? Because God is on our side, we can say, Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. How can we be sure that all things work together for our good? Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Our theme this morning is that all things work together for good because of God's sovereign plan for his people. The good is not due to fate, luck, or even moral superiority of believers. It is to be ascribed to God's good and sovereign will, which has from eternity past to eternity future secured and guaranteed the good for those whom he has chosen. 
There has been referred to as the golden chain in Romans 8, 29, and 30. A golden chain of events, if you will, that takes place in the lives of each and every one of God's people. It is a golden or precious chain because the links in that chain will never, ever be broken. They cannot and they will not. Note the emphasis is on the God who is at work. Romans 8.29, if you look at that with me. For whom he, that is God, foreknew, he, that is God, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And whom he predestined, he also called, those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. The emphasis is on the activity and work of God. These are the ways in which God is for us. God is on our side. He has done all these things on our behalf. We were passive. He was active. This morning, we're going to be focusing on verse 29. I've been going through this section verse by verse, for each of these verses is filled with meat, and there is plenty to contemplate as we think about these great verses of Scripture. So this morning, it's verse 29. Again, the theme is that all things work together for good because of God's sovereign plan for his people. Last week, we looked at the nature of the good and how all things work together for good, and we emphasized that not everything is good in and of itself, but brought together, working together by the sovereign plan of God, all things work out to good. And we talked about what that good is. Today, the focus is on this sovereign plan of God, the sovereign plan of God. <clears throat> all things work together for good because of God's sovereign plan for his people. The first thing that we need to address this morning is who are his people? Who are these individuals for whom God has this sovereign plan? They are described in the text as those whom he foreknew. Notice verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So what does that mean, those whom he foreknew? <clears throat> the prefix pre means before, so it means to know before. But again, we ask the question, well, what does that mean? We are being introduced in this passage to what is going to be developed in much greater extent in Romans chapter 9, and that is the doctrine of election, the doctrine of God's choice of his people. And so the question asks, what does this word foreknow mean? <clears throat> Many would say that the word foreknow is describing an activity of God wherein he looked down a quarter of time, a quarter of time and saw ahead of time those who would believe in him 
and therefore chose them because he knew that they would believe in him. That is, God chose those ahead of time that would believe in him based on their foreknown belief in him. However, I would point out to you that you have to read a lot into the text to arrive at that place. The words would believe in him are not found in the text. It simply states, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. You have to have an ellipsis at this state if you are going to supply the words um, for new who would believe. An ellipsis is usually written <laughs> in, in a, a sentence with a dot, 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 meaning that there's something left out. There's, there's something that, that isn't in the quotation. There's something that you need to supply. And so there are those that would argue that this verse doesn't make sense unless you supply something. There, there needs to be something added if it's going to make sense. Uh, to say that he foreknew and then to go right on and to say he also predestined doesn't make logical sense. Therefore, we have a necessity to supply something there and then what is supplied by many is those whom he foreknew would believe in him. That has a number of problems. It has, it has problems theologically. But uh, before we get that, we want to look at, at the text itself. For it does not say what he foreknew, but it says whom he foreknew. If you look at verse 29, for whom he foreknew. And I would encourage you, if you mark your, your Bible, circle that. Whom, not what. Whom he foreknew. So can the word foreknow stand on its own? Does it make sense as written? I would submit to you, it does. And one of the ways we know that it does is there aren't any translations that translate this any way else. Uh, there isn't another translation that provides something in order for it to make sense. Whatever translation you are using, whatever modern translation, it's going to read very similar to this. None of them are going to say, those whom he foreknew would believe. That's, that's not within the ballpark. The word no, in Hebrew, in Greek, and in English, can all be used in a multitude of ways. We use it in a multitude of ways, Greek uses it in a multitude of ways, and Hebrew uses it in a multitude of ways, and those multitude of ways are all the same. So the same connotations in English are the same connotations in Greek, and are the same connotations in Hebrew. To make this extremely easy and abbreviated, we can talk about no in two different ways. We can talk about know or to have knowledge about something. We can know about um, a lot of things, including people. Uh, so we might use the, ask the question, uh, do you know so-and-so? And you might answer, yeah, I know, thinking that I know of him. I know about him. Uh, 
you know, uh, we might know a lot about Abraham Lincoln. We might know a lot about George Washington. We can look him up on, on the, the internet. We can look at Wikipedia. Uh, we can know about individuals. We also can use the word know to speak of a relationship that exists between people. And so we can talk about Joe Schmo, and I know him. I know him very well, all right? I have a relationship to him. He's my, he's my neighbor. He's my friend. Uh, he's my relative. Not only can I tell you about him, but I know him. I have a relationship to him. The scriptures often use the word know to speak of a relationship that exists between God and his people, a relationship. Now, I want to go to two passages of scripture that that demonstrate this uh, pretty demonstrably. The first is a negative example. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 22. Matthew 7, if you would. Jesus is talking about a day of judgment that is going to occur. And the events that are going to occur on that day of judgment. Starting at Matthew chapter 7, looking at verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, these words, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So we need to ask ourselves, what does that mean when Jesus said, I never knew you? Does that mean that Jesus was totally unaware of these these individuals? that it takes them by surprise. Uh, they come before him, and, and uh, they're speaking, and, and Jesus, where do you guys come from? Uh, I had no idea that you existed. I'm totally unaware of, of who you are. Well, certainly not. Nor does it mean that he is unaware of their professed allegiance, verse 22. They will say, Lord, Lord, in your name, we've cast out demons. In your name, so that your mighty works. In your name, he knows of their professed allegiance. Nor does it mean that the Lord was unaware of the activities of these people, that they cast out demons. They did many mighty works. Nor is the emphasis on the fact that they did not know him. It doesn't say, depart from me, you never knew me. It says, depart from me, I never knew you. Meaning, I never had a relationship to you. You were never a part of my people. No relationship. The second example, a positive example, is taken from the book of Jeremiah. If you would turn back there, please. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, in your Bibles. Verse 
Starting with Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, we have a description of God's relationship to Jeremiah. Now, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Meaning, I had a relationship to you. Now, notice what this relationship consists of. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. It doesn't say, I was aware that that you were going to become a prophet. That I was able to see ahead of time that you were going to present yourself to be a prophet. I knew before you were born that someday you would come to, to, to me and say, won't you make me a prophet? doesn't say that. It says the activity of God. Before Jeremiah was born, I appointed you. I consecrated you. I had this relationship. I had this plan. I had this purpose before you were ever born. That is the way in which the word for no is being used in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. I had a relationship before you. Before <clears throat> I had this, this relationship with you before time. <clears throat> I predetermined, and I have then uh, called you to be uh, like your, your brothers. <clears throat> Excuse me, like, your, like the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so <clears throat> it is to have a relationship to ahead of time. Secondly, what is this relationship? What is this plan that, that God had be ahead of time. Notice verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, those that he had this relationship and plan ahead of time for, he also predestined. He predestined. So what does that mean? The word predestined means to predetermine. To decide beforehand. It is to cause to arrive at a predetermined destination. God had a plan for his people ahead of time in which he determined their end. But what does the word, or the, excuse me, the prefix pre mean? He predestined, he predetermined. Well, pre means before. But we then can ask the question, before what? Before what? Did... Uh, God predetermined what we were going to be and to do. Well, if you turn to Romans chapter 9, when we get to this much further delineation of the doctrine of election, that we're not going to go into much detail this morning, but it answers the question, among other passages, what the pre means to be predestined. Before what? If you look at Romans chapter 9, starting with verse 11, 
It's talking about Jacob and Esau and God's choice of Jacob. And so these, these two twins, Jacob and Esau, and uh, God chooses uh, Jacob. In verse 11 it says, and though they were not born. All right, so the pre is ahead of their birth, just as Jeremiah was known before his birth. So before they had been born. Secondly, if you look at verse 11 of chapter 9, though they are not yet born, had not done anything good or evil. So before they had done anything that was good or bad, God had a determination. God had made a selection that had nothing to do with their doing good or bad. It says, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. The basis of his choice is God's purpose, God's plan, what God wanted them to do and to experience, just as God's choice of Jeremiah was he appointed him to be a prophet. He appointed him to do the work of God. And I would note in Romans chapter 9, if you would look at that again, though they were not yet born and had not done neither anything good or bad, parentheses, but knowing which one of them would believe, end of parentheses, it's not there. Okay, you won't find a single verse in the scriptures that talk about knowing who will believe and choosing them on that basis. That's not found anywhere. And the whole point of these passages is to speak of the passivity of the one whom God has this plan for. How can you more clearly say than before they were born, they're out of the picture. Before they had done any good or evil, not based on, on merit. And you get to Ephesians 1, and it even says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Before God made anything, Anything that existed, he had a plan. He wasn't shooting from the hip. He had a plan. From beginning to end, when he created, he had a purpose. Not just an awareness, not just that he knew the future, he controlled the future. He worked out his plan. And so the comfort for us this morning is that if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, ipso facto, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan for you. And that's why all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For all things are serving his plan. All things are accomplishing his will. So what is 
determined for his people. What is that plan that God has for us? We can speak of that plan in two different ways. We can speak of God's individual plan for each and every one of our lives in which those plans differ. Uh, God has a purpose for you that he doesn't have for me. We all serve his will. We all serve in the body of Christ. We have different gifts. We have different abilities. We have different talents. God, before we were ever created, our Psalm 139 says that, that our members were written, that, that he made me exactly the way he wanted me to be made in order to accomplish his willness and his, his desire. So my weaknesses, my strengths, all of them continue and work together to accomplish what God had for me. So God's plan for you and God's plan for me is different. There is an individual plan. But there's also a collective plan. There is a purpose that God has for every single one of his, his people. Every single individual that knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So what I have to say to you this morning applies, if you know the Lord is your Savior, this applies to you. For it is for every one of his children. A universal plan. What is that universal plan that he has for each and every one of us? Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknow, he also predestined, here's the plan, here's the purpose, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's true of every single child of God to be conformed to the image of his son. What is the image of his son? Actually, it's the image of his father. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So, Christ is in the image of the father so that we might be in the image of Christ. <clears throat> this is speaking about both his Christ's person and Christ's position. It first speaks about his person, about this being in the image of God is being like God, or godly, if you will. It is that we would share in the attributes and the character of God, that we'd be holy, that we'd be righteous, that we would be just, that we would be good, that we'd be loving, that we would be kind, that we would be like God. That's his purpose for each and every one of us. That as we are saved, as we are being delivered, that he is making us more like Jesus Christ every day. Bringing about a change in our character. Bringing about a change in our desires. Bringing about a change in who we are. So we would be more godly, more Christ-like, more God-like, moving away from sin and moving towards righteousness and holiness and goodness. That is God's purpose in saving you. Not just so you can go to heaven, 
but so that you can be free from this slavery to sin that we were under before we knew Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And now, wonderfully transformed by the grace and power of God. The second purpose, or an extension of that purpose, if you will, is to be made like Christ in his position. If you notice Romans 8, 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now this, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That we would share in this position with Christ as a brother. That he is our elder brother, if you will, and as a result, we are the children of God. Now, we've been going so slowly through Romans 8 that you might have forgotten verses 14 to 17, so turn with me there. Romans 8, 14 to 17. That's why I encourage you, uh, read Romans in one sitting. Uh, Read right straight through. It doesn't take that long to, to read actually the, the whole book of Romans. And keeping it together, keeping it united is extremely helpful. But notice, starting at Romans eight fourteen, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, this new relationship, this intimacy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we might also be glorified with him. So this purpose is that ultimately we are going to be Glorified. Ultimately, we are going to be exalted. Ultimately, we are going to be in a place of <clears throat> exaltation, of, of glory, and of grandeur. When we speak of the word glory in the scriptures, it refers to both a place and a position. In Romans chapter 8, the emphasis is on this position of glorification, of, of exaltation, of finding absolute acceptance and approval with God, where he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we actually receive praise from God. And he lifts us up. And we rule over those who are the ungodly, those who rejected Jesus Christ. And finally, in this world in which the Christian is despised, finally, God's people are exalted and glorified. So notice Romans 8.30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified... He also glorified this exaltation that we experience. 
So this activity of God, that is solely his activity, for it continually points to God and what God is doing, not what he knows we will do, but what he has done for us, this great activity is God on our side. God on our side before we had done anything good or bad. God on our side before we were born. God on our side before anything was made. God was on our side. He chose to have a relationship to us. He foreknew us. Secondly, he made a predetermination. He had a plan. He had a purpose. He had a destination that we were going to. And that plan and that purpose and that destination that he has for each and every single one of us is to be conformed to the image of his son, to be more Christ-like, to be more godly, and ultimately to be glorified, exalted, and be in his presence. So we can say with a surety, all things work together for good to God's people. For it is bringing us into conformity with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's ultimately going to result in our exaltation. I, excuse me, I, I'm just kind of overwhelmed. But if, if we just think about this, this, this great truth that we don't want to minimize, that is that God had this purpose for us before we were born. That's how we can know that all things work together for our good. His plan is being worked out in each and every one of our lives. Again, he has an individual plan, and we will see that in Romans chapter 9. We'll get into that in more detail, but this morning is that he has the same plan for each and every one of us to be conformed to Christ's image and that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you we thank you for your purpose. We thank you for your will. Lord, we, we thank you of your choice of us. And we marvel at your goodness. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you before we had done anything good or bad. Thank you before we could make any decision. Thank you before we were even born. Thank you that before we were even created, you had a purpose and you had a plan in making us and for our existence. Thank you, O oh God, that that plan was to be for us and not against us. Thank you, O oh God, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, that we're going to find in just a few weeks ahead, because your plan for us is not for bad, it is for good. Thank you that your plan is that we will be like Jesus Christ. Thank you that your plan is that we will be exalted, we will be glorified, we will be at your right hand 
we will never hear, depart from me, I never knew you. For you have known us before the foundation of the world. Thank you, Lord, for that assurance of our salvation. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we